So hi everyone, uh, thanks for coming. I'm Will Wright and my presentation today is entitled uh, Montana's Modern Medium, The Life, Works, and Home of Artist Helen McCausland. So in 1968, artist Helen McCausland was angry. Remember that this year is really the year of discontent um, with Martin Luther King Jr. being assassinated, um, with Robert Kennedy also being killed. Um, we're at the height of the Vietnam War. And so um, McClauslin, in order to vent her frustrations with this year, uh, she placed an oversized pink-colored peace sign above the fireplace in her living room. Now, McCausland placed this anti-war symbol in solidarity with anti-Vietnam War protesters who carried similar emblems with them at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. At an age of about 70-odd years, like throughout most of her life, her means of descent were less about feet on the street and more about paint on the canvas. And so McCausland retreated to the studio room of her new uh, modern-looking home in Bozeman, Montana, to generate a whole new series of work on which she could vent these frustrations. And a friend and fellow artist Jenny DeWeese remembered that she'd take these paintings that she already had, she'd rip them up, and then she'd glue them back together to create something new. They were all very visual. And so one creation was this uh, abstract mixing uh, with the words from newsprint glued, the whole world is watching, up in, in the upper right-hand corner. Now, this is a not-so-subtle reference to the phrase that uh, thousands of demonstrators chanted outside of the Chicago Convention. And so it's really in these visible moments here in her modern Bozeman home, uh, creating this modern art and informed by her modern sensibilities, um, that we really see convergence of different strands of modernism. So for historians, modernism is difficult to describe, let alone define. Um, and so in general, modernist trends typically challenged a more conventional past, a more traditional past for a more liberated future. Um, so we could pick from a long list. Um, we could pick Leela Audio, uh, Jenny DeWeese, Francis Skinska, uh, Jesse Wilbur, uh, some Montana artists, but Helen McCausland really stands out for the ways in which her life intersected various strands of modernism. And so today I want to try to connect these different strands of modernism and see if we can bring them together and see what are the commonalities amongst them. And so, in essence, I'm arguing that McCausland really is this modern medium uh, for the way uh, through her artwork, through her home, and through her nonconformist lifestyle. So, in order to do that, let's go back to the beginning. So, McCausland, uh, unlike most women of her generation, was born in a very well-to-do family uh, that allowed her to push social boundaries. So she was born in 1895 to an upper-middle-class family in Providence, Rhode Island. Her mother, Fanny uh, Thompson McCausland, was an American voice coach and music teacher. Um, from her, she really got her sort of concern for social welfare. And then her father, Dugald McClausland, was a Scottish immigrant and an oil company manager. Um, and from, her, from him, she got his, her love for tennis. <laughs> and so uh, family wealth really derived from the petroleum industry. And her cousin remembered, quote, 
She was tenderly loved and all her material needs satisfied. She was not only expected to develop her talent, she was expected to su succeed in accomplishing her purpose. And really education uh, for her cultivated that purpose. In 1913, she enrolled in Mount Holyoke College, um, which was a liberal arts institution uh, in Massachusetts. And um, you can see her yearbook photo from her senior year uh, on the left here. Um, here's McCausland up here. Um, during sort of her academic training, she took classes in Freudian science and uh, the Socratic method. She was also very athletic. Um, she was on the tennis team, she was on the track and field team, and she was also on the field hockey team. Uh, here's a picture of her uh, back row, second from left. Um, and I, I don't know, but I, I think her record, school record that she set her senior year in the ball throw still stands, mostly because they don't do it anymore. <laughs> um, it's kind of a cross between discus and shot put where you have this heavy ball on a chain and you spin around and throw it. But any, apparently she threw a distance of 163 feet, 8 inches. So might stand still today, I don't know. But 1917, four years later, um, obviously the theme of this conference, she graduates with a bachelor's degree in psychology and philosophy. And for the time period, she really bucks sort of educational trends. Um, only 2% of the college-age population at this time, so ages 18 to 25, would have graduated from college, and only a third of those were women. And so Mount Holyoke, like other uh, liberal arts institutions that become known as the Seven Sisters Colleges, really worked at nurturing uh, female independence. It's at this time when she's going to school that modernism arrives from Europe into the United States, um, and so I don't know the exact connection, but after the exib International Exhibition of Modern Art in New York City, she starts experimenting with abstract painting. And so upon graduation, she decides in 1920 she's going to enroll in the Art Students League as a graduate student and train under a group of sort of avant-garde artists um, that include um, Yasuo Kiyonoshi, Max Weber, Boardman Sloan, or Boardman Robinson and John Sloan. And these teachers really stressed just experimentation over more sort of traditional practices. And it's here where McClausen really finds her passion and purpose as sort of a modern artist. So the 1920s and 1930s really turned out to be pivotal decades for McClausen in both personal and professional terms. Um, in 1919, her uh, father dies, and so she and her mother move into a home in uh, Westfield, New Jersey, but she maintains an art studio um, on Union Square in downtown Manhattan where she would regularly commute to pursue her art career. Um, and it's really in this cosmopolitan bureau that she's really introduced to sort of novel, novel feminist ideals, um, what some historians would call the new woman, um, which really disputed sort of the social and political norms of the times. Let's remember that the 1920s uh, witnessed the ratification of the um, 19th Amendment to secure women's right to vote. Um, you also had M Margaret Sanger going around New York City and giving uh, talks on birth control access for women's reproductive rights. And then off obviously the 20s was the decade of the flapper. And so um, she was part of this sort of milieu. 
Um, so McCausland really fits the new woman in many ways. Um, she drank, she smoked, um, she never married in her lifetime. Um, she wore a bobbed haircut for some of the time and she was involved in liberal politics. Um, she painted the nude uh, models to celebrate the female body uh, on numerous occasions. Here's one of her sketches um, right here. And so as her sort of prestige grew in uh, New York City, she would often travel abroad for more creative inspiration. And so she went to Scotland to see her father's ancestral home. Um, she went to the Caribbean, to the islands of Dominica and Martinique. Here's a, a sketch of her travel there um, for really sort of creative inspiration to uh, inform her modernist sensibility. Um, in 1931, uh, the urban critic Lewis Mumford in the American Institute of Graphic Arts chose one of her paintings as one of the 50 best of the year in 1931 and then uh, did sort of an international or national exhibition where it toured the country. Um, and here again, her status as a modern artist really is elevated. Um, the GRD studio in New York City featured her work um, from her trip in Iceland and the New York Evening Post reviewed it saying, quote, Miss McCausland paints with limpid color and decisive pattern. You feel the crystal clearness in the air in which every object stands out in strange emphasis. It is much the same world of the far north which a noted painter and explorer has depicted for us. So, um, again, her status was really elevated. Uh, in the 1930s, she also takes a trip to Mexico uh, where she's exposed to revolutionaries, artists, Diego Rivera, Jose Clemente Orozco, and David Alfuero Cisqueros. Um, and as art historian Rafael Chacon has noted, this was really crucial for her development as an artist because it exposed her to this sort of combination of radical populism and uh, modernist sensibilities. And so just as Mexican artists were very much obsessed in socialist Mexico with depicting peasants, uh, Indians, and other marginalized groups, uh, McClausen started experimenting with using her painting for overt social commentary. And so here's some uh, watercolor she produced. Uh, on here you can see again sort of peasant life and here's a, a railroad station, um, very lonely railroad station uh, that she's trying to depict. But living in sort of the East Coast near New York City, she really didn't like the urban setting. And so in 1932, she decides to go out west. And so she um, heads out one summer in 1932 to a dude ranch. Okay? And this dude ranch is Jack Clark's X-Bar A dude ranch, which is south of uh, Big Timber, Montana, um, to escape her urban settings. And like Michelle has noted, right, there's hundreds of dude ranches at this point. And they, they not only served what we call thousands of male dudes, but they also serviced hundreds of female dudeens. Uh, and so uh, McCausland was a dudeen, uh, and she very much enjoyed uh, participating in often masculinized uh, activities such as trail riding and hunting. Um, and so she was very much connected to, to this dude ranch. And so from the time of 1932 until 1946, she would make out annual pilgrimages out to this dude ranch in Montana uh, to sort of refresh herself. In 1947, her 
mother dies and she says, well, I, I love so much. Montana so much and my, uh, I don't have any connection there, I'm going to move out here permanently. And she buys uh, the Diamond Lazy H Ranch in Springdale, Montana. She's going to operate her ranch. Well, during World War II, as sort of her warfront contribution, um, she had raised in the suburbs of New Jersey some Duroc uh, pigs um, as sort of, sort of her home front contribution. So she said, if I can raise pigs in the East, I can raise cattle in the West. Um, but she finds out it's a little tougher than that, um, and so um, after three years, she sells this ranch that she was operating and um, uh, buys a small piece of property on the Boulder River on the guest ranch that she had uh, attended annually. And she said in uh, a, a note back to Mount Holyoke, quote, I recently acquired a cattle ranch in Montana, have 4,000 acres near the mountains and enjoying it greatly, also have painting when they have the time. Well, she turned out she didn't really have the time. So while she lived and resided in Big Timber, her sort of cultural community, her artist colony, as um, Michelle pointed out, was really Bozeman. Um, Bob and Jenny DeWeese um, had really cultivated a sort of non-conforming group of abstract expressionists. They felt isolated when they came to Montana, and so they worked to reach out and to grab as many people as they could. Um, often you hear stories of these studio parties that Bob would host in his flat on the second floor on Main Street. Um, there were sort of raucous affairs, um, really heavy drinking, uh, intense conversation, and uh, oftentimes they would uh, put on productions sort of contemporaneously um, for uh, Three Penny Opera. And uh, Jenny remembers that McClausen was one of the last ones to leave, you know, every time they'd host one of these parties. And so um, she really felt that tug of Bozeman uh, coming at her. So in 1965, she decided she's going to move to Bozeman. That's where her artist community uh, resides, and so she buys a, a small piece of land um, from a former homestead that had been subdivided, and she hires uh, the architect Oswald Berg to design her home in the modernist sensibility. Now, McCausland likely came to know Berg through sort of this network of friends. Um, after serving as a structural engineer during World War II, Berg moved back to Mont. Bozeman, which was his childhood home as a teenager, in order to open up his own arch architectural business. Um, Berg also joined the faculty at Montana State College as a visiting professor, and here he probably got to know Bob DeWeese and sort of his artist cohort. Berg had really cemented his uh, modernist sensibility with a couple of buildings. One is he designed the Hope Lutheran Church, which had this large cross with a glass curtain backdrop behind it. Um, and then also he designed the athletics complex for Montana State College in 1956, uh, which today is known as Brick Breeden Fieldhouse, um, which is the largest timber dome structure in the world at that time. But Bozemanites were a little hesitant to embrace his form of modernism. Uh, one local even said, quote, you've heard of Frank Lloyd Wright? Well, this, this is Frank Lloyd wrong. <laughs> and so because of this sort of resistance, uh, this modern art community was much more receptive to Berg's style of modernism. 
And so they were much more willing to take on uh, his version and let him sort of uh, design buildings in sort of a modernist flair. Um, also, Richard Neutra um, is another famous Austrian-born artist who uh, came to Montana State College in the 1949 to give a series of guest lectures and um, would it sort of inform the modernist sensibility through what's called the case study houses. Um, so the Arts and Architecture magazine would put out these sort of experimental structures that they would design and then publish them widely and they would often inform uh, practicing architects. And so these case study homes would you know, be on the coffee table of Berg and other practicing architects at the time. So in 1966, um, Berg designs McCausland's home. It's a single level floor plan uh, with two entryways. One leads into sort of an open concept uh, living, dining, and um, sort of open space. Uh, there were carpets in the bedroom, ceramic tile in the bathrooms, and stained concrete for her studio room. Uh, in the other entrance, in the carport side, was a gallery viewing area and her studio room. As Jenny recalled, uh, these glass curtain walls descended from the gable ends of the house and, quote, delivered a view of the mountains from every window, the bridges to the north, the Gallatins to the south, and the tobacco routes to the west, particularly because no neighbors surrounded him at the time. Also, you'll see that um, glue laminated timber beams extended past the roof line with these angular end cuts. Again, end cuts. again that's a, a modernist feature, and here's contemporary uh, pictures of the building. Uh, showing sort of that modernist feature, low, sleek roof line with wood shake shingles. So it's in this home that, again, McCausland really tries to foster this artist colony, as Michelle called it. Uh, she hosted numerous parties. Um, often there'd be ping pong tournaments, and she'd shark people, and then later tell them that she was a former tennis champion of New Jersey. Um, but she would also... Uh, advocate on behalf of women. She would uh, host local chapter meetings of the League of Women Voters to try to get women involved in public affairs. Um, she campaigned on behalf of politicians for the Democratic ticket, and as Jenny DeWeese remembered, she possessed, quote, an untiring support for humanitarian causes and a particular concern for women, end quote. So it's in this space at the end of her life that she really and, oh, here's a picture of her studio room, both a sketch that she'd done and then a contemporary picture today. So it's really in this space that, again, McClausen wants to uh, use her art to, for social commentary. And so on May 4th, 1970, she received that opportunity and probably her most famous work. Um, Ohio National Guardsmen had opened gunfire on college students at Kent State University. Uh, who had been marching against the U.S. expansion of the Vietnam War into Cambodia. Sixty-seven rounds had killed four students and wounded nine others. And so McClausland, in sort of a time of rage, uh, retreated to her studio room uh, to paint these intense scenes of the Kent State shootings. And so on a dark palette, um, human figures lie stretched out, you know, a couple of them with their hands over their chest. 
And it's really in this uh, modern work that we see the blending of these um, somber colors in a modern aesthetic painted in her modern home and uh, informed by a modernist sensibility of a non-conformist lifestyle. So rather than remembering um, sort of a mythic West, or I might add a manly West, uh, through Remington or Russell, we might be better to resurrect a modern West given by women like Leela Audio, Francis Skenska, and most importantly, Helen McCausland. Thank you. Thank you.